0: Our guide Peter tried his best to hold back his emotions, but he couldn't. He would cry, tears would come, and he would just keep trying to go. The events that he described were 45 years old, and he had experienced them as a 10 year old, but now, as a man in his 50s, he still felt the emotion as he talked about it. We were in the bogside neighborhood of Londonderry in Northern Ireland. And Peter was describing the conflict of the Civil War that had gone on between the Unionists in the North and the Nationalists in the South. Uh, People would put an overlay of Catholicism and Protestantism over it, but that had really nothing to do with the war. It was all about power and control and politics. The Jesus of Catholicism and the Jesus of Protestantism wouldn't have anything to do with that conflict. But as he shared it, he would be stuck in emotion. There was one place where there were political murals that were painted on the wall and he forced the bus driver over. You could tell the bus driver wanted to keep on going, but he had to sit there for a moment as he told the stories. On January 30th, a demonstration of 10,000 people ended up with what was supposed to be peacekeeping forces from Britain firing on them and 13 civilians were killed. It was all pushed under the carpet, under the rug uh, by the political forces. But in time, people recognized that an evil had been done. But it was still so emotional for Peter. He gave us a guided tour around the uh, town, and he talked about the 25 years of terrorism that followed that. And You could still feel the little bit of edge in the air. Could it come back in some way? We got on the bus and I did what any good American would do. I got my iPod out because I wanted to listen to U2, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Now Nathan's lucky he's in confirmation because he's a U2 buff and I was going to have him come sing it, (laughs) but we know how successful that went a couple weeks ago, so maybe it's better if I just remind you of the lyrics. I can't believe the news I hear today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? How long? How long? Now, those of you who are really paying attention and are reading of the psalm, you recognize that Bono is a contemporary prophet, and he had taken a hold of the psalmist words to speak about the pain that the people were going through. How long? Today we start a three-week series, Skeptics in the Bible, and this morning we're going to deal with a topic in one sermon that is impossible, the whole issue of suffering and how that brings questions to us about God. Uh, I I wish this were going to go for four weeks. You say, well, you want to talk about suffering for four weeks? There's a lot to talk about. And this is the question that causes most people to have doubt about the existence of God. If God is all-powerful, why doesn't He do something? If He's all-loving, how can He look on to all this trouble? If He's good and brings all this stuff together somehow, what is going on? Why would God allow suffering? Now, let me make two statements before we enter into this psalm. The first one is this. If you're hoping I'm going to answer that question, you're going to be sadly disappointed when you leave. Here's how I answer, how can God allow suffering in our world? My answer is this, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's one of those things in faith that will always baffle us. Now I know where the clear source of suffering comes from because suffering is a result of evil in our world and I know where evil comes from. Evil comes from Satan, the enemy of our soul. So I don't feel a need to look to God for the source of suffering. But it still doesn't answer the question, why does God allow it? Why has He given Satan a long leash in the time in which we have? The other problem in dealing with suffering is it's not a problem that is to be logically solved. Suffering is a condition that we enter into. And it can be almost cruel to try to solve it when people are in the midst of it. Suffering is something I feel. And the truth of the Scripture, it never skirts suffering. It enters into it fully, but it doesn't ever answer the question why. What Scriptures tell us is how to respond in the face of suffering, in the face of trouble that comes our way. And Psalm 13 is a perfect place to begin. Let me just read it again so the words lodge for us. How long, O Lord will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? See, the great things about Psalms is that they're the Psalms of humanity. If you read through these Psalms, you will find every emotion, every circumstance of life you will hear everything that people feel, the dissonance of petitioning God and the exuberance of praise put into words that we can't capture. We only want to sing them because they're so precious. The Psalms are raw. If you've read the Psalms long enough, you've had that moment where you got to a Psalm and you thought, did He really pray that out loud? I was thinking it, did he really voice that as a prayer? And did he voice it in the sanctuary of God? We feel like we have to dress up our prayers sometimes. Maybe that's our fault as clergy and standing before you, we've learned a certain theological language of prayer. But when you see the Psalms prayed, there's a declaration before God that's desperate. Someone has said to enter into the Psalms in prayer is an act of war because evil is all around us. We shouldn't be surprised. Our faith heroes, Jacob, wrestles with God at Peniel, and at the end of it, he limps for the rest of his life. That was a result of the consequences of his own sin. Jesus, our Savior, wrestles with God in Gethsemane. Luke says that he had sweat that was like drops of blood, it was so intense. That was not because of his trouble, it's because of the trouble you and I caused. Prayer is an act of war because there's so much evil in our world. Derek Kidner says of David's prayers, awareness of God and enemy is virtually the hallmark of every Psalm of David, the positive and negative charge which produced the driving force of his best years. And four times, the psalmist says, how long? This is called an imprecatory psalm. Easier word, it's a psalm of complaint. This is different than lament. This is raw complaint before God. Now, I want to remind you, this is in God's holy writ. God saved it as the hymn book of His people because He wants us to know something about this type of prayer. The psalmist declares, Lord, it seems like you've forgotten me. You've hidden your face. Remember, for the Hebrew people, to experience blessing was to have the face of God shine upon you. So when your circumstances are falling apart, the psalmist looks at God and says, what is it you've turned your back to me? I like the way Eugene Peterson translates it in the message, long enough. God, you've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. And we get this. This message lands on the degree of suffering you've experienced or the degree of suffering that you're in right now. See, suffering is one thing, but it's the residual long-term of suffering that wears us down. I did a lot of reading on suffering this week because I wanted to be fully in the flow of what's happening for the psalmist. It's one thing to suffer and take a shot, but when the suffering continues one day and then a week and then years, God, what's going on? For the psalmist, there were two sources of it. He says, my inner heart is wasting away the seed of his emotions we're crying out. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You guys get it. You understand this. It's not necessarily the things that we experience, but it's the loop tape that goes in our brain. It's at two in the morning when we can't get away from the suffering that we've felt. And for David, the internal became because of an external enemy. He says, my enemy is taunting me, he's exalting over me. Now David had real physical enemies. I don't know what your enemies are, but his were very physical. Think about two of them, Saul, the king that he showed total loyalty, spent 20 years chasing him around the un trying to kill him. That was his reward for loyalty. Absalom, his son, his own son tries to eliminate him so that he can have the throne. I mean, those are two obvious enemies for David. I, I don't have those kinds of enemies in my life, but we all have enemies. There are people that feel like enemies. Uh, some of us had parents that did cruel things to us. They might not have meant to do it, but they did cruel things to us. Some of them did. They knew exactly what they were doing. Some of us have had spouses and life partners just walk out on us. Some are still in the relationship, but they're so miserable to live with, it almost feels like they've walked out. Some of us have sons and daughters who have walked away and said, I don't want to have anything to do with your God, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Some of us have overbearing bosses, can't see what we're doing. Some of us have insubordinate direct reports. We did everything to get them into their position, and there's no gratefulness. Some of us have neighbors who just are cantankerous. Now we all know that it's not really them they're not the enemy the enemy is the enemy of our soul who prompts them and does these things in their life but they're the presenting problem it feels like an enemy the majority of our enemies are circumstances maybe it's singleness Maybe you've wanted to have a partner but it just hasn't worked out that way for you. Maybe it's barrenness. You've wanted to have a child but for whatever reason God doesn't open your womb. Maybe it's cancer. Or any host of other diseases that conflict us. Maybe it's an emotional turmoil. Maybe it's a financial failure, a decision that needs to be made. If it isn't enough that we have those things, it feels like the news just keeps dumping on us and dumping on us and dumping us. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it when I'm in Starbucks and I'm in other coffee shops and I'm out in town. There's a latent fear in our society right now. We used to think it was pretty safe, but now you're wondering who's going to show up with what armament and do what thing. And then you take it out to a world scale. No one told me about the genocide that's happening in Bangladesh. I found out this week for the first time, 400,000 refugees. We're trying to dig out from a hurricane. I saw the first images this week of uh, Puerto Rico. Unbelievable what those people are experiencing. It's like, Lord, how long? Aren't you going to do anything? It seems like the whole thing is falling apart. You see, the psalmist assaults Yahweh with his problems. That's the nature of complaint psalms. What are you doing up there? Really? See, we laugh now, but when you're sitting with the pain at night, it doesn't feel that funny. It feels like you're looking at the back of Yahweh's head. Eugene Peterson says this, we need to pray our hate, if not, it will take over our heart. We need to pray what we are, not what we should be. Now, there's really a part of me that wants to just say amen and just send you all out the door. Because you have to feel the pain of the psalmist. See, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. This is my new discovery in life. I don't sit with pain long. I don't believe in pain. I was told not to honor it when I was growing up. But the reality is we live in a painful world. I'm a psycho-utopian. That's official designation that was given me by a psychologist. I wear that as a badge. Someone added, I'm a snarky psycho-utopian, so. (laughs) But we need to stop. Because the psalmist does. Does. God, there's something wrong here. I can't let you go because the psalmist doesn't stop. After he declares his disorientation to God, he then takes the next step in his prayer. Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because i am shaken see the psalmist openly complains and acknowledges his feelings to god but then he moves to petition and the phrase that captures me is my god the psalmist is directing his complaint and his pray its prayer to someone he knows. He recognizes in this moment that his trouble is not going to go away so he can either have his trouble alone or he can have his trouble with God. And maybe God is his only way out of this situation. He's not going to be able to solve it, so he petitions him. Lord, my God. Now, if you're in the midst of suffering, this is going to feel cruel, Maybe you should just cover your ears for the next few moments because I wouldn't say to this to you if you were sitting in my office, it's hard to preach to this many people because we're all coming to this psalm in different ways. But the truth of the matter is, if you're in suffering, this isn't going to help, but if you're not in suffering, now's the time to get to know your God because you're going to need to know Him when the suffering comes. The psalmist can complain and petition at the same time because he could call God, my God. So if you're not in suffering now, get to know Him. Someone has said that trouble or suffering develops character. I think of a different way. It reveals character. And it's what you get with God that will prepare you for the time. If you're suffering, you can come back and listen again. So the psalmist goes from disorientation to reorientation. God, I don't like the way this is going, but I'm calling on you anyhow, anyhow, and then he moves to reorientation, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Does that sound ridiculous from what you heard in verse 1? Did anything happen and change in the psalmist's circumstances between verse 1 and verses 5 and 6? See, it's not about the faith of the psalmist. It's about the character of God. The psalmist goes back to the past and says, You have always dealt with steadfast love. Your has said has been the guiding principle. I come back to that. And he looks forward to the Lord's salvation that's going to come. He ends in benediction. He says this, I will sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. Brugeman says, Life is broken loose in doxology. Life is broken loose in doxology. Sing. Sing. It might not change your circumstances, but it will increase your hope. This is usually where I do the so what and now what thing, but I'm not going to do that today. And <coughs> eh, maybe I am, but <laughs> I'm disguising it. Here's what I want you to get out of this psalm. You have permission to complain to God. It's not Chuck giving you the permission. It's God's Word giving you the permission. Here's the problem. If you do not complain, there will be a part of you that seizes up and you will lose your ability to have joy. Matt, throw that diagram up. This is called the pain-joy continuum. Um, I'm going to cross out the word pain and change this for the next time I use it. I'd rather put the word grief because I think there's something constructive about pain which would be the second part of this preaching series. It all landed for me between the services. See, you guys are better coming to 1045 because I figure this thing out as we're going. This is actually Ingrid's slide and she's probably going to watch this tape because she's preaching in Florida. Hon, you need to change this slide. This is off. See, The continuum is not pain and joy, it's grieving and joy, and they're connected. So if you will only allow yourself to grieve to a certain point, you will only be able to have joy to a certain point. The reason to complain and tell God about all these things is to keep your soul open because you want to have the full expression of His joy. If you will grieve fully, you will have joy fully. Anybody here want joy? You see, some people will say, hey, just get on with it. No, 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 no. You'll get on with it, but you'll become crusted and hurt. And you know what hurt people do? They hurt people. But if you will feel it and grieve it, there'll be a new space for God's joy to come. So go for it. Yell at God a little bit. Tell Him how you're feeling. But don't just stay there. Move on to the next stages of being a true psalmist. Petition Him and find hope. You see, the hard part for me for preaching this is not simply that I'm a psycho-utopian and a seven on the Enneagram. I have to read the Psalms back through the lens of the Christ event. And the cross changes everything about how I view the suffering that we experience in this world. You see, philosophy wants to let God off the hook by explaining the whys of suffering and take it away. God never explains it away. He enters into the story by putting himself on the hook. You heard it last week in the ending of our Hebrew stories. for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It is in cross and resurrection that Jesus guarantees that our suffering isn't meaningless, but somehow is being worked into God's plan. Now hear this, I am not saying your suffering is God putting his finger on you and messing you up. For whatever reason, I don't understand he's allowed it, but he has the ability to come in and take that suffering and make something glorious out of it. And how do I know that? Because the Word of God declares it. Matt, throw these two scriptures up there. From the Apostle Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That guy knew what suffering was about. I will never taste suffering in my life like he tasted for making this message known to you and I. Look, for I consider that the suffering of this present time Sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, I I wanted you to leave, but I'm glad you stayed. I want you to feel the pain. Because it's good for you to feel the pain. But I don't want you to stay there because our God is telling a better story. Let the words of the psalmist be the final thing that rests in your mind and heart from the message. Long enough, God, You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God. My God. I want to look life in the eye. So no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. Amen.